Okay, we do have the agenda before us. Uh, Secretariat, you can proceed. Chair, we need a, a move and a second from the NSI, then we can proceed, Chair. Okay, so can I, uh, the issue we have is the briefing as we have had previously. Can we then actually have an agreement uh, from um, honorable members, if ever you're comfortable with the agenda? Can I have a mover and a seconder? Can I have honorable members? Can I Mr. Mwatsi is indicating chair. Uh, honorable Mwatsi, I would Thank assume is a moving. Uh, let me hear you, honorable member Mwatsi. Thank you very much, Chairperson. I move for adoption of the agenda. Thank you very much. Can we have the seconder? I, I second it, Chairperson. Yeah, I thought you would indicate your name first, uh, Honourable it's, Member. It's Honourable Dangle. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure there's no objection to that. Can we actually then um, request that we proceed to the agenda item as adopted? If obviously I won't see hands, I actually assume there's no objection. Can we then actually uh, proceed to the next item on the agenda? Obviously, it will be the issue relating to the presentation or the discussion we have uh, in terms of uh, getting the discussion with the minister. Um, can That's I, correct, I yeah. actually invite? Yeah, can I invite a minister, honourable minister, um, to actually come and take the floor? I think uh, we won't actually be dealing with any administrative issues because we had uh, more than in sufficient time to deal with that. We did receive your apology. Uh, we had a discussion on that. We agreed that we are going to meet today. Welcome, Minister. Thank you very much. You can actually take the floor. Well, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. And um, may I extend a, a very uh, a warm good morning uh, to all honourable members of the committee, may I wish the chairperson, uh, honourable members, uh, deputy ministers, uh, the director general and the officials in attendance a very happy Workers' Day. It is the 1st of May. Yeah. Thank you for this opportunity to address the committee, the joint committee on government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, which is also the first virtual meeting of the two committees that I am addressing. The technology, of course, uh, this period has made us uh, learn rapidly uh, the new technologies. And uh, they come with their glitches and their challenges. I'm just glad that when the first aeroplanes came into service many moons ago, it didn't have the same kind of uh, early learning uh, where you'd have a screen freeze or a malfunction uh, in mid-air. Uh, but I think uh, we are learning uh, the use of these new technologies. Chairperson, I want to start with a very deep appreciation, uh, an appreciation to the members of the Joint Committee for accommodating my very late request for a rescheduling of the meeting two days ago. 
as I indicated in the letter, it was due to my attendance at the um, National Coronavirus Command Council and the cabinet meeting and urgent tasks that a number of cabinet members were given as a result of uh, those meetings. I want to once again give my apology that I could not attend the scheduled meeting. I want to thank you very sincerely for the very gracious acceptance of the apology and the change of the meeting date. I do not take it for granted because as members of the executive, we are accountable to Parliament's oversight. And of course, the committee system is an integral part of that oversight. We are going through very, very difficult times. Across the world, economies are being reshaped, societies are in lockdown, and all of us in all parts of the world are adjusting to a reality that we could not have imagined uh, some four or five months ago. Not only is it affecting us immediately and limiting that which we want to do every day, uh, our contribution to, to our economy, our contribution uh, to our societies, uh, our family lives, all of those are being disrupted by the virus. But the world as we know it will also change as a result of this period we live through. It has shown many challenges, but it's also in South Africa united uh, all South Africans into uh, one, uh, one nation fighting uh, the pandemic, uh, doing everything possible uh, to ensure that the rate of infection uh, is limited, that we save lives. And so all of us have had to go through difficult adjustments and will continue to do so uh, for, for a, a period still. But we've also seen enormous acts of social solidarity, of goodwill, and all of us as South Africans really gelling together as a nation, coming together to confront uh, the virus and the impact it's having uh, on our lives. And across the world, we see similarly uh, a, uh, a uh, outpouring of support by people towards each other, towards neighbors, towards uh, to those uh, who do not have shelter and who don't have food. So in these difficult times, I, I appreciate the opportunity that the committee has given to me uh, to make some remarks on our work. And Chairperson, I'm going to use the screen. I'm going to load up, uh, if there are no glitches, a copy of the presentation. We had circulated a draft of the presentation yesterday, and we've provided this, uh, a very uh, small amended version of the document this morning, but it will be on the screen. And... Uh, I will now, with your permission, go over immediately to the, uh, to the screen. Um, thank you, Minister, because I think um, with loading the screen, it's, it's okay. And the changes I'm sure you will highlight because we did receive your presentation. And thank you very much. I'm sure when you're ready and when you get to areas where there might be some small or some changes, you'll indicate to us on the circulated document. Thank you. Indeed, I will do so, uh, Chairperson. Okay, for, yeah. thank you. 
So may I then start by saying that uh, the topic that uh, the two uh, committees have given uh, uh, me is uh, to report on government's response to the potential negative impact of COVID-19 on the economy and the measures considered to mitigate against it. And I want to frame the challenge that we face by saying that COVID-19 is a pandemic that has caused deep and serious damage to societies and economies across the world. It is really the worst uh, pandemic of its type since the 1918 Spanish flu. And in, in thinking through the question that the joint committees have asked me to, to talk to, the immediate impact of COVID-19 in South Africa, if no action is taken, is that we may see a rapid spread of the virus through community transmission. Our healthcare systems uh, are likely then to be overwhelmed with potentially devastating impacts on the lives of people and the economy. And this will result in turn in loss of lives of workers, of managers, of technical personnel, but also of our families, of human beings, with increased social tensions and of course damage to our social cohesion. So if we take no action, it will have an enormous impact, not just on our society, but also on our economy. So there's a, both a social and economic imperative to contain the spread of the virus and flatten the curve of infection. But even with flattening the curve, there's still significant economic damage that the virus, the pandemic, uh, will leave in its wake in South Africa. And that uh, working together, uh, we need to mitigate. We need to ensure that we deal with those challenges as quickly as possible. In the screen, uh, we indicate that the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic as recently as 11 March. By, the, uh, by yesterday, uh, we had uh, more than uh, 3 million people infected globally. And in South Africa, just uh, over 5,640 5, uh, infections. Globally, we've seen 230,000 deaths. And South Africa crossed the 100 mark with 103 deaths. We've provided a new slide that was not in the document circulated, so that this is the, the latest picture that we had by late last night on the spread of the virus in different parts of the country and the total uh, data prepared by the Department, National Department of Health. We've also on slide six added a new slide and honorable members will see a little green circle on the right hand side of the screen. Those are uh, new slides that have been added. And this is a slide that indicates the spread of cases in major centers with a particularly large and worrying increase in uh, the Western Cape, but um, an upward uh, trajectory in, uh, in uh, a number of uh, provinces. Looking at the impact and the challenge that COVID-19, the pandemic, uh, uh, creates for all of us in developed countries, in countries with strong healthcare systems and uh, with um, uh, well-developed administrations, countries like uh, Italy, uh, parts of the United States and elsewhere, 
We've seen many health services overwhelm, devastating health consequences, and large numbers of people have died. In South Africa, of course, we face those same risks, but there are additional high-risk factors. High levels of comorbidity uh, in South Africa and a very large immunocompromised population, putting very large numbers of people at risk. We have challenges of poverty with overcrowded living areas, many, many parts, many parts of our, uh, of our uh, uh, country without uh, appropriate uh, infrastructure like running water and poor nutrition. We have uneven healthcare capacity and winter is approaching. And the lesson of uh, COVID-19 is uh, during winter, it is more challenging. It's a period of high risk. Our response has been that the president, when we saw the spread of the virus globally and the first cases in South Africa, uh, the president declared a national state of disaster in mid-March. And our first priority in this national state of disaster is to save lives. That is above all the critical uh, goal. And we do so through seeking to avoid the rapid spread, particularly into vulnerable communities because the fatality rate there could be so much higher. And we use this period to get the country ready for a more effective healthcare response and address the impact, of course, on the economy. The Disaster Management Act is the legal instrument uh, applicable. Uh, a National Coronavirus Command Council was set up by cabinet to coordinate the emergency response. We've also, uh, the president has also convened meetings of the Presidential Coordinating Council uh, to brief premiers and SALGA and to get feedback from provinces and local government. And we've had engagements with leaders of political parties, religious organizations, constituencies at NEDLAC, uh, and, uh, and discussions with both businesses and trade unions, and in fact, many other uh, uh, groups in society. The Command Council, of course, comprised members of the National Executive, and there are structures for senior officials to meet regularly. The uh, Minister of COCTA is responsible for issuing regulations under the Disaster Management Act. So in terms of the act, uh, that is the minister responsible. And cabinet members uh, are uh, uh, able to issue directions on matters relating to their portfolio uh, in accordance, of course, with the DMA regulations. Cabinet uh, members can also use uh, uh, the uh, responsibilities and powers uh, that legislation give them to issue regulations or exemptions where other legislation specifically provide for that. For example, uh, the Competition Act uh, in respect of the portfolio uh, that I am uh, responsible for. The overall uh, approach of government is that science is and should be leading our response to the pandemic and that the key is to flatten the curve of infection. In other words, to slow down uh, the peaks and to push it out as far as possible while we also protect the economy. And it involves doing what's necessary to ensure that we're not overwhelmed by an uncontrolled uh, pandemic, which would lead, of course, to, to massive loss of life, overwhelm the healthcare system and destroy the economic foundations uh, of South Africa due to the systemic cost and it will remove large sections 
of the workforce. Uh, and it's about ensuring that we take responsibility to deliberately reopen the economy in phases with safety of our people at the forefront of how we do that. And, and of course, we need to do it in ways that allow livelihoods to be preserved, to protect the productive assets of our nation and sustain as much of the economy as we can while we protect lives. There's a public health response which leads to work. We've learned from countries elsewhere in the world uh, who have responded with lockdowns of varying strength and uh, severity. And it includes uh, uh, disruption of flights and shipping. And given the high risks that were outlined, we moved rapidly as government with a lockdown that came very early in our cycle of infections and with a lockdown that was quite stringent with significant restrictions to slow the spread of the virus. And this provided time for the, both the public and the private healthcare sectors to mobilize resources, to plan for a rapid increase in patients uh, requiring hospital care, to begin to procure essential healthcare supplies that we need from disinfectants to ventilators to surgical masks and so on, and to scale up local production, and I'll talk more through that uh, shortly. We've sought to ensure that the lockdown achieves its first uh, order objective, and that's limiting the spread of COVID-19. But we've also identified, including through the work that the department has done, that there are other areas critical to the healthcare response that fall actively in the DTIC mandate. And they uh, affect matters as varied as supplies of medical equipment, uh, domestic production of what we need, ensuring food production is in place, and uh, managing uh, the uh, processes around exports of medical supplies. Our economic action has come across a wide front. For today's presentation, uh, I want to highlight eight of those areas. They listed on slide 13. They deal with the economic impact assessment and measures to mitigate, as well as supporting uh, health measures, uh, food and hygiene uh, product supply lines from the farm to the shop uh, that need to be kept going, solidarity and social protection uh, across the country, regulatory support to facilitate uh, cooperation between firms so that we keep as many companies in business, protecting consumers against unfair price rises. There's been work we've done on global coordination uh, and engagement. And finally, matters relating to the lockdown and the reopening of the economy. I want to turn to the first, which is the economic impact and mitigation. And we did work early in the process looking at the, uh, the impact of uh, the pandemic uh, elsewhere and in South Africa. And we saw a massive and rapid shock to the economy, starting globally, but transmitted very rapidly to South Africa because of the way in which we are connected to global value chains um, and the importance of exports to our economy. And it moved not only to affect the South African economy, but also the rest of the African continent. It had an immediate impact on global growth. 
with projections of global growth flat in a number of cases, projections of global recession and deep fears that if not managed well, uh, this may uh, result in a global uh, economic depression. What has been particularly uh, striking about uh, the the, uh, pandemic is that it's led to challenges on both the demand side of the economy and the supply side. Typically, uh, one would have a major challenge on one of the two areas. But here, the pandemic immediately led to a reduction in demand. Demand for South African commodities in China, when uh, China went into its lockdown, Uh, a a reduction in demand for consumer goods when uh, consumers went into lockdown in Europe and and, uh, stopped buying cars, for example. But at the same time, it also disrupted uh, supply lines globally. Uh, We could no longer... Uh, get uh, the uh, critical components that we need uh, for for key parts of our economy. And so the combination of a demand and supply shock is being felt throughout the economy. And this commenced even before the lockdown. There are significant sectoral implications and um, we've done we've done work looking at the impact on different sectors of the South African economy. Without any question, the impact on GDP will be very significant with a projected uh, recession and severe contraction of the economy in 2020. Uh, Big job losses are projected and a number of firms are vulnerable to closure with high levels of social hardship. So what all of our work has done, it's indicated that the pandemic will affect the South African economy in in very deep and significant ways. The estimates of the impact vary. Uh, The work is still being done as we see the extent to which different parts of the economy are affected. Uh, Just to illustrate it, uh, we've given some uh, estimates from the IMF, the Reserve Bank and the IDC, all indicating a fall of the order at this stage of about 6% uh, uh, in GDP. Now, knowing that we have a problem and that the problem will impact deeply on the economies is, is but the first part of the work. The second part that we did was to look at the response. And the response uh, areas that we've specifically focused on is to limit the health impact uh, of the pandemic through the lockdown. And I, I, I stress that because it's not as if we have a health response and an economic response. These are integrated responses. If we, uh, if, if we had a rapid spread of the pandemic, of the virus in the economy, then it would affect the economy. Uh, let me put it differently, whether a rapid spread of the virus in society, it would have a direct impact on the economy. Uh, and, and so uh, after the lockdown, uh, we looked at a risk-adjusted reopening, and I will talk uh, briefly on this later on. We introduced a number of social measures to support vulnerable persons, and the president announced a very significant economic support package 
are 500 billion rand, the, the largest package of its type yet announced. The Reserve Bank cut the repo rate by 200 basis points, and they took other steps to provide uh, liquidity to the financial system. And we are looking at longer-term policy measures to rebuild the economy. The economic measures announced by the President on the 21st of April amounted, as I indicated, to 500 billion rand. Funding will include reprioritization of 130 billion rand within our current budgets, uh, with a balance coming from local and international uh, sources. And it will include 200 billion rand loan guarantee scheme in partnership with the major banks, Treasury and Reserve Bank. 100 billion rand for the unemployment insurance fund benefit to support workers' wages and assist companies uh, uh, during this period. 70 billion rand in cash flow relief or, or direct payment to businesses and individuals. And there's a number of ways in which this will be done. They include a four-month holiday for, for companies' skills development levy contributions, a fast tracking of VAT refunds, and a three-month delay for filing and first payment of the carbon tax. It also included a 50 billion rand on a temporary six-month coronavirus grant uh, that has been introduced uh, to provide relief to those who are most desperately uh, affected by the virus. 40 billion rand set aside for income support payments for workers whose employers are not able to pay their wages. 20 billion for additional spending on personal protective equipment for our frontline healthcare workers, uh, not only at hospitals, but also community screening and for increases in testing capacity. Uh, additional beds, because in many parts of the country, we don't have uh, adequate healthcare facilities for a pandemic of this type. 20 billion rand to municipalities for the provision of emergency water supply and sanitation and other uh, other support, and two billion to assist uh, SMMEs and spaza shop owners and other small businesses. So that's the first platform that we've created, an economic uh, response dealing with um, the fact that liquidity and demand is taken out of the economy and that we need to deal with that. The, the result of the economic um, uh, impact has been uh, enormous hardship and we need to deal uh, address that uh, and uh, and provide support for for vulnerable persons. The second part of the response relates to health stocks, making sure that we have stocks of uh, sanitizer and uh, uh, face masks and uh, ventilators and all the other products that are required. So we we put some work together over a number of weeks to develop an integrated database of health stocks, indicating what stocks are available in the private sector, what is available in the, in the public sector, together with some projections on what is required in different areas. We facilitated a deep conversation within the healthcare sector uh, to uh, enable uh, stocks uh, and uh, facilities uh, to, be, to be clearly uh, identified and shared where necessary, and that required a specific exemption from uh, provision, certain provisions of the Competition Act. And we used new clauses that Parliament had passed 
uh, some two years ago uh, that are now used for the first time in the, uh, uh, in the exercise of the flexibility that's necessary. We supported firms to ramp up local production of things like face masks and other health stocks. We assisted the National Department of Health to secure medical supplies abroad, and we launched a national ventilator project, bringing together South African innovators and inventors and others and saying to them, use the capability that we have as a nation to develop working models that can be produced within weeks uh, so that we can expand the national supply of ventilators. Slide 19, which I won't go into detail, provides some examples of the kind of things that are being done. For example, with ventilators, <clears throat> our work has been to, to try to map out what are, are required from the moment where someone uh, needs to be rushed from their home uh, to, uh, to hospital. Uh, in an ambulance, you need something called an ambu bag. Uh, when you arrive at the hospital, you may need um, a nasal cannula. Uh, if if your your condition uh, deteriorates, you may need a CPAP uh, or BPAP. Um, and of course, in extreme uh, instances, you may need uh, an invasive ventilator. So it's trying to identify where we have stocks, but also what we can do to produce these locally. And, and considerable work has been done on that front. Let me use another example. When we needed to do a hand sanitizer, uh, we, we discovered that uh, we had significant challenges with getting the core raw material because it's um, principally um, uh, uh, ethanol and, um, uh, of course, uh, uh, glycerine and some peroxide. But we needed to make sure that we have these um, ingredients locally. And we sat down uh, with Sassol, and they decided that all uh, the... Uh, uh, production of the ethanol coming from uh, their plants uh, would be made available for South African production of sanitizer, but also for disinfectants that are required. So these are examples of the kind of work that has been done. We put in place an export um, monitoring and control system uh, on critical health stocks so that we know what is available and what is flowing out and we can ensure that there are stocks available in South Africa, but also that there are stocks available for neighboring countries. Moving on to the third leg, which is uh, on the food and hygiene supply lines. Uh, this work involved uh, a very uh, deep liaison with uh, uh, industry to ensure that we are able to maintain production and security of supply. So invest SA, which in the past would have worked with companies to boost their investment, now use the networks of relationships and um, uh, engagements to work with the food supply uh, companies from the farm right through the uh, 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 factory production system uh, through to the retailers, liaising with the retailers uh, on, on stocks. Have you got enough stocks? What measures can we can we um, uh, encourage you to take to avoid panic buying by consumers. Uh, how can we ensure that stores are safe and addressing uh, pricing concerns that consumers had? And a lot of this work is troubleshooting and, uh, and detailed relating to a particular plant or workplace.
The fourth uh, platform that uh, we built was a platform of, of solidarity and social protection. A number of measures have been initiated to support it. They include support for workers in distress, for enterprises and firms in distress, food security measures, uh, the uh, launch of the Solidarity Fund, support uh, that we secured from the Tirisano Fund, and a range of corporate initiatives that we've encouraged to enable food to rich communities. In support for workers in distress, uh, the DTIC has been active working in partnership with other departments, for example, supporting the Department of Employment and Labor in helping to, um, to strengthen the UIF program, uh, which allows employers to apply on behalf of workers as a means to speed up the process so that you don't need every worker who's laid off uh, in this period having to go to the offices of the UIF. And some 2.2 billion rand, I'm told, has been paid out to, uh, to employers who are now uh, paying those uh, monies over to their workers. We supported um, uh, the same department to develop safety protocols to protect workers when returning to work. Uh, and we worked with the Department of Transport to develop public transport safety protocols to protect workers uh, traveling to work. These are just a few examples. There are many other examples uh, that the, uh, the officials have been involved in. On support for enterprises in distress, before the president announced the, the big package of 500 uh, billion rand, we moved rapidly to create a war chest uh, for support to small and medium-sized enterprises, but also large firms in distress. And the department transferred 700 million rand to the IDC, who in turn earmarked an additional 3 billion rand to be available to support companies in this period with low interest loans, payment holidays, and so on. And um, the president has been reporting periodically on the success that the IDC has had in um, approving uh, sums of money from this. We've also supported the Department of Small Business Development to provide relief measures to the self-employed and spaza shops. And of course, government as a whole has provided now the 200 billion rand credit guarantee uh, announced for firms uh, in distress. On the National Credit Act, uh, we worked with stakeholders, including the Reserve Bank, uh, lenders, uh, credit providers, and the regulator, to look at ways in which greater access to finance for consumers and small business can be made available. We looked at two areas of the uh, uh, National Credit Act. The one is the public interest credit agreement provision, and the other one is the emergency loan provision in the Act. And uh, they both uh, really enable uh, uh, lending outside of the normal framework that is in place. And uh, uh, it's part of uh, enabling uh, loans that would otherwise not qualify for financing due to the provisions in the Act to limit reckless credit extension. And we've looked at the lining. Uh, we, we waited to see... Uh, how we could get the credit guarantee scheme terms finalized and approved and announced by the president because 
any other measures would have to be aligned to this. Uh, and we need to take into account uh, a range of factors that are set out there. On solidarity and social protection, we've also worked on food security, uh, a variety of interventions to improve the flow of funds to vulnerable citizens. They include uh, the uh, uh, special grants uh, to recipients of child support grants and, and the additional uh, grants for those not already receiving social grants. SASA has ramped up supply of food parcels. Uh, government is considering an e-voucher scheme. And uh, the Solidarity Fund is also providing targeted support. The Solid Solidarity Fund itself, it uh, was initially discussed at uh, NEDLAC and uh, announced by the president on the 23rd of March. Uh, government provided seed capital of 150 million rand. And we've had a, a strong support already for the, the uh, fund with a thousand uh, firms and corporates contributing and 75,000 uh, individual contributions already received. The president and cabinet members uh, have um, uh, volunteered to donate one third of salaries for three month period. Uh, many others uh, have followed uh, business leaders there's been a call on uh, public officials to do something similar, and 2.6 billion rand has already been pledged. That money has already begun to be spent on masks, on ventilators, and on social support. It is a broad-based board of governance, uh, drawing in uh, many uh, South African uh, South Africans of um, uh, with experience in uh, in public uh, affairs. Uh, and it's uh, chaired by uh, Gloria Sirobi, and uh, the deputy chair is um, uh, Adrian Enthoven. We've also uh, encouraged the Tirisano Fund to make support available. They've uh, pledged uh, 50 million rand uh, to the Municipal Infrastructure Support Agency for support with sanitizers, boreholes, and so on. And there's been a significant number of corporate donations. The fifth platform is regulatory support for um, a number of sectors. They uh, include healthcare, banking, retail, hotels, uh, and uh, uh, rules around uh, the tribunal and the CIPC. On the healthcare uh, sector, we've enabled collaboration by uh, hospitals and healthcare uh, facilities, medical suppliers, specialists uh, and radiologists, pathologists in labs, pharmacies, health uh, fund uh, uh, or healthcare funders, all of them to be able in their area to see what they can do to work together to deal with the virus. In some instances, it means uh, identifying beds that can be shared. If one hospital has too many patients uh, that come in uh, needing bed care, then uh, they could reroute them to, a, um, to another hospital nearby, even if it's not owned by the same uh, hospital group, uh, between the public and the private, but also between private uh, hospitals. Uh, when one hospital uh, runs short of basic supplies of medication, they must be able to, to utilize supplies that's available uh, at another hospital. So it's really building a single platform across the healthcare sector so that as and when the number of infections rise 
uh, we are readier than we would have otherwise been. We've done similar work with the banking sector to enable banks to get together and uh, look at how they can provide payment holidays and debt relief to consumers, uh, set limits on repossessions of assets for South Africans, uh, for people who are subject to financial stress, and of course, uh, look at extension of credit lines uh, to, to persons that have been uh, affected by COVID-19. These would be both individuals and, of course, firms. We've uh, enabled in the retail property sector uh, both tenants and landlords to come together, uh, particularly in retail trading lines like clothing, uh, footwear, and home textiles, personal care like uh, your hairdressers and others, restaurants, and, uh, and, and others. And essentially what it enabled them to do is to have a discussion about rental discounts or payment holidays uh, and, and limitation on tenant evictions. In the hotel industry, we've uh, enabled um, uh, and granted an exemption to hotel groups to come together to have a dis discussion around uh, one table with the Department of Tourism uh, to identify how hotels could be used as quarantine facilities instead of building new quarantine facilities when uh, the infection rates rise we will be able to use the infrastructure of hotels they've got beds and kitchens and so on that can be can be deployed rapidly uh, to uh, to to care for people who are in quarantine uh, i've also issued um, regulations uh, to speed up the consideration of complaints around contraventions of the excessive pricing regulations under the Competition Act. And uh, that enables the um, Competition Tribunal to move on an urgent basis uh, on uh, hearings, uh, on dealing with rem remedies, uh, and on consent orders. The uh, one challenge that companies raise with us is many firms are in distress and they're concerned that they may be uh, staying open uh, in circumstances that could be construed as being reckless trading. And to provide companies with comfort that they will not fall foul of the reckless trading provisions of the Companies Act, uh, the CIPC at our request considered the matter, they issued a practice note subsequently in terms of Section 22 of the Companies Act. Uh, and uh, uh, by way of background, I should indicate um, that uh, the CIPC normally has the power to issue notices to a business to cease trading if it finds that the company is carrying on its business recklessly uh, with gross negligence and with intent to defraud any person or for any fraudulent purpose. So this practice note clarifies that for the duration of the uh, national disaster, the CIPC will not invoke the reckless trading provisions if it has reason to believe that a company is uh, simply temporarily insolvent due, due to the nation, uh, national disaster. The sixth platform has been to protect consumers, particularly uh, against unfair, unjust, unjustifiable and excessive price rises. We issued a regulation covering price gouging and excessive pricing on the 19th of March. Uh, 
And we've been working closely with retailers to deal with stockpiling challenges in those early days, just before the lockdown and immediately when the lockdown was announced, many uh, consumers were worried that we would not be able to maintain the supply uh, lines and they rushed to supermarkets to stock up with food and um, toilet paper and other basics. And so it was working with retailers. Uh, we recommended that they should introduce uh, limitations to what any one consumer could take. They then uh, applied that um, in their different stores, and we were able to go past the the panic period with uh, sufficient stocks to enable monthly earners to also have goods when they went to shop, and later for SASA uh, recipients, uh, grant recipients, to also have access to basic foods. We've been monitoring prices. The Competition Commission uh, has taken action against them. Um, unfair and unjustified uh, uh, price rises within its mandate. Uh, the Consumer Commission is um, a number of uh, investigations underway and further regulatory measures may need to be introduced if this problem continues. The Commission, the Competition Commission in particular, has been uh, active and quick off the mark. A large um, pharmacy chain, this scheme has been charged by the Commission with excessive pricing on face masks, and the matter will be heard by the tribunal on the 4th of May. A face mask distributor has already reached agreement with the commission to pay uh, 11 million rand fine uh, for excessive pricing uh, in addition to other uh, remedies. And two other retailers of face masks have been ordered to pay damages and reduce prices. Now, these are just immediate steps. I mean, we've had hundreds of complaints the National Consumer Commission has a toll-free number for complaints, 0800-014-880, uh, and they're monitoring complaints by consumers and dealing with it. And we've had agreement with major retailers, of course, as I indicated earlier, to um, uh, have in place limits on key goods during periods of panic, uh, of panic buying. The seventh platform is global coordination. The president in particular has shown uh, leadership in the African Union is the chairperson of the African Union uh, this year and he's facilitated a number of solidarity interventions uh, to support efforts in the continent to deal with uh, uh, the pandemic and its impact on economies. He's launched a fundraising drive to bring together resources uh, that can be used across the continent and there's been uh, other actions uh, to, to show African solidarity uh, during this period. It's also meant that we've had to look at the shifting of the continental free trade area timeframes. A G20 leaders meeting on global coordination took place where President Ramaphosa represented South Africa and the continent and made a number of key calls. Uh, I was part of a G20 trade ministers meeting where we uh, requested uh, support from uh, developing and developed countries in critical areas for our continent and for, for our people here in South Africa. We've engaged bilaterally, for example, uh, when India imposed an uh, export ban on critical uh, pharmaceutical products. We engaged with the government of India and we secured an arrangement where South African 
uh, companies could access uh, stocks that had otherwise not been available publicly. We did it similarly with other countries. The eighth and, and final area that I want to talk about uh, is the lockdown and the reopening of the economy. Of course, uh, honorable members will know that the lockdown was announced by the president. It was intended to limit movement of people uh, and the spread of the virus. As has been said repeatedly, the virus can't move. It's people who move. And when we move, we spread the virus. And uh, the lockdown has been introduced to flatten the curve of infections. The lockdown uh, limited uh, both economic and social activities in the society. And in the, in the initial lockdown phase, uh, the regulations issued by the Minister of Cocta provided for essential services. As more health data became available and based on the need to restart more parts of the economy over the next number of months, uh, we developed a risk-adjusted approach. And this was announced by the President uh, in an address to the nation. The new approach seeks to calibrate the opening of the economy and, and social activities with a level of risk. In other words, the higher the risk, the more constrained uh, the economy is, the lower the level of the risk, uh, the greater openness in the economy, with our public goal being to try to get as quickly as possible to the complete opening of the economy uh, within a framework that is set by the health risks. <clears throat> we developed three systems <clears throat> System one was a new alert system to measure the degree of risk uh, of infections and the spread of infections. There's basically a health indicator with the highest level being level five, the lowest being level one. Uh, and uh, this would then be rolled out progressively to give us both a national, a provincial and a district level uh, measure of what risks there are. Uh, there was a second system, an industry classification of our readiness to return at each risk level. And we took into account a number of criteria. The third uh, system was enhanced public health and social distancing arrangements at the workplace and in public spaces, including schools, higher education institutions, and any other places that uh, may become open during the pandemic period. Just to briefly run uh, honorable members through the first system, the risk-adjusted strategic approach, uh, you will see on the screen the five levels, level five being the highest risk with a full lockdown. This is when you have a high virus spread and it's combined with a low health system readiness. Level four is where the virus spread is um, moderated somewhat and uh, perhaps with a, a better uh, health uh, system uh, readiness, you still have high levels of restrictions. Level three is when, again, the virus spread is moderated and there's moderate uh, readiness in the uh, healthcare system. Level two is when the healthcare system improves to high readiness. And level one is when there's very limited virus spread and very high healthcare readiness. I want to just repeat that the purpose of the new approach, the risk-adjusted strategy, is to calibrate the level of openness with the level of risk and really to enable us to restart um, as many economic activities as is possible uh, given the health risk at any given point.
We developed an industry classification to sequence the economic areas to be open after the initial lockdown period, looking at factors like the risk of transmission, the impact on a sector if the lockdown continues, the value and economic linkage of a sector to the broader economy. And those are factors including what is that sector's contribution to GDP, to employment, the multiplier impact in the economy, its export earnings, uh, supply chain linkages, and of course, our industrial policy goals. And finally, we looked at the promotion of community well-being and the livelihoods of the most vulnerable. At the moment, we're on a national alert, but progressively we want to expand it to provincial and district level based on uh, readiness and, and getting uh, data, uh, sufficient data at all levels. There's an enhanced public health plan that the Minister of Health is leading our thinking and our work uh, from uh, health protocols to social distancing arrangements. Industries will be encouraged to adopt a work-from-home strategy wherever this is possible and to encourage staff to work remotely when they can do so. It's accompanied by phasing in the number of workers traveling and working at any one time from uh, 30% in manufacturing to 100%. Uh, special measures for workers above the age of 60 as well as workers with comorbidities. A comorbidity would be something like asthma or, or high blood pressure because what we're seeing from the experience elsewhere in the world is while everybody is capable of, uh, of becoming COVID positive, the people with comorbidities are more likely to get serious illness and in many cases, regrettably, to die. And so special measures uh, would need to be put in place. Workplace protocols, including surveillance systems uh, on the spread of COVID, and prevention measures, of course, disabling contact biometric systems uh, or making them COVID-proof, and guidelines dealing with public uh, and correctional facilities. We have a number of measures that um, uh, my colleagues have announced and that uh, we've spoken about to businesses from um, uh, protecting vulnerable employees that I've spoken about, safe transport of employees, screening with uh, these gadgets that take temperature, uh, preventing of viral spread, hand sanitizers, face masks, cleaning of surfaces, ventilation, shift arrangements, uh, the systems in place in canteens, uh, managing uh, sick employees, uh, all of these, and they require partnerships. We also want to do in this new phase, mass testing, because testing is absolutely critical as part of the means of dealing with the virus. In level four, the president announced uh, that the country would go to the new alert system based on risk assessment. Uh, a proposal was developed to open the economy to an increasing level. A draft proposal was publicly released by COCTA, who was responsible for the regulations. It was done on the 25th of April, and uh, there was a period for public comments and sector feedback. We had an enormous number of responses. Just at the sector uh, 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 level, 850 sectors, businesses, um, associations, and union inputs were received. We also received submissions from 
political parties and tens of thousands of public comments were received. The draft proposals were reviewed and amended. We worked really from Saturday afternoon uh, right through every day thereafter, deep into the evening, trying to, uh, uh, to, to sift through the comments that were made by, by firms, by uh, individuals. And based on the feedback received and the need for a deliberate and cautious easing of lockdown measures, uh, we, we announced the new arrangements. If we can afford a sharp increase in the level of infection with the return to work of a large number of workers, uh, as, as many of 2 million workers may be returning uh, to work uh, in, uh, in phases and in batches over this period of uh, level four. If we can do it successfully without um, a spike in uh, the infection rate, and if we can expand testing and healthcare facilities in this period, uh, the economy could shift to level three as soon as possible. In other words, it's not that the economy needs to be in level four for a four-week period or a six-week period. If we can see that we get all of the, the results showing that we can move rapidly to level three, it's a risk-based approach, then we can do so. There are a number of sectors, uh, economic sectors in level four. Uh, many of these don't specifically uh, fall within the remit and mandate of um, the Portfolio and Select Committees and uh, the Ministry. But uh, for ease of reference, uh, we just provide on slide 44 uh, a unified view uh, covering agriculture, utilities, manufacturing, construction, retail, mining, restaurants, financial and business services, transport and other services. In manufacturing, there's a number of uh, subsectors that now are able in level four to go to 100% employment. In other words, provided they do it uh, incrementally over the next uh, uh, number of days so that there's not a flood of people coming to work all on the same time, they are able to have full, uh, full operation. They uh, are sectors like food products, um, uh, including non-alcoholic beverages, animal food, uh, Areas like uh, toilet paper and, uh, and other products, sanitary pads, hand sanitizers, disinfectants, personal protective equipment, um, products for the care of babies and toddlers, children's clothing, uh, personal toiletries, and uh, members will see the list of personal toiletries there, medical and hospital supplies, medicine uh, equipment, medical equipment, fuel and lighting, including wood and paraffin and gas, um, chemical uh, products used in, in list four. Uh, still continuing on the next slide with companies that can fully reopen would be those who, do, who, who make textiles for face masks and other personal protective equipment, uh, educational book uh, uh, publishers, personal ICT equipment like um, factories doing computers or mobile uh, phones or uh, home office equipment like printers and so on, paper and paper products, uh, excluding stationery. Stationery has got its own category. Plastics and packaging, including glass, plastic bottles and containers, petroleum refineries and smelters and furnaces. And then for those who can now go to half uh, employment in the, in the level four period, it would be 
the manufacturing of cars and steel and uh, 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 other metals, as well as uh, rail building and ship building, and all the components that go into each of these, stationary production, cement and the other construction material and hardware, the manufacture of winter clothing and winter footwear and bedding and heaters, um, scaling up to, to 50%. So, so that's the second category. The third category are those companies that would operate at 30% employment in this initial period. And this is by no means a, a full list, but they would include uh, general and special purpose machinery and household appliances, publishing uh, electrical machinery uh, that's not covered in other categories, uh, radio and TV equipment, furniture and wood products, uh, the remainder of, of textiles and clothing and footwear, as well as uh, chemical products. But we also recognize that many firms need others to do components for them. If you produce, for example, uh, a um, food product, you need machinery for the food factory. So we've put a supply chain provision in uh, cocktails, put that in the regulations, dealing with production, manufacturing, uh, repair and maintenance uh, of everything that's required for, for those who are opening up. Retail is set out on page slide 49. I'm not going to take the committee in detail through it, but it sets out there the number of products that uh, retailers can sell. These would be your formal stores, your spaza shops, as well as your informal traders. Uh, there are purchases uh, also of car-related uh, products. Uh, by direction, we will be opening up the car sales market. Car parts uh, can now be bought, uh, car hire, uh, and emergency car repairs. Each of the details are set out in the regulations. There are other areas like machinery hire and so on. E-commerce, which is an important part of our economy with online platforms and delivery service, we see that an increasing quantity of goods can be sold in this period using e-commerce and home delivery. They include the products sold by retailers listed on slide 50, plus hot-cooked foods that can be delivered. And um, the, the regulations, because we could not complete it within the available time when the regulations needed to be published, uh, and we're still doing some consultation, uh, but the directions uh, or the regulations now permit that directions can be issued for the incremental expansion of e-commerce, taking into account the, the need to limit movement on the road, contact between people, uh, looking at the law enforcement challenges and the impact on other businesses so that we can get as much goods flowing in the economy. There are inventories that are available, the stocks at um, stores that we think we can begin to move as rapidly as possible to the homes of consumers. So this is an area that we will be looking at uh, very, very uh, quickly to see what more can be done. Financial and business services in level four, uh, slide 51 gives a large number of them from banks to insurance to um, medical scheme administrations uh, to the provision of, of social grants, private security services, uh, people at all workplaces across the country that's responsible for the payment of wages and salaries, uh, rental of motor vehicles, um, 
call centers for global services and, and other specified uh, services uh, and, and uh, others. We've added this slide, uh, Chairperson. It was not in the presentation of yesterday. Just to give the committee an idea of what is in the regulations. Uh, so um, it's done for ease of reference. Similarly, with the next slide, it's also been included afresh to give the committee members an idea of the other elements in the regulations. So professional services that may operate where work from home is not possible, and they include things like um, software and data consultancy, maintenance and repair of um, equipment, uh, research and development. We think that's quite important. Uh, things like legal, uh, so uh, bookkeeping, tax consultancy, architects, engineers, uh, in wherever level four uh, firms need these services, those individuals would be able to perform and render those services, not just from home, but even from the offices. Uh, on slide 53, there are other areas that We've just highlighted it's also a new slide and it's just drawn from the regulations. Uh, there are recycling services like glass, paper, plastics, metal and tires, uh, licensing of at government offices, permits that need to be issued, the deeds office, the master's office, uh, things like sanitation and pest control and sewage and so on, transport services including rail, minibus taxis, bus services, and e-hailing, uh, ocean and uh, rail and road and air transport, and the details and the regulations, productions for local broadcast, for television and radio. So um, all of the things that we watch on uh, television during the day or at night, these can now be produced. Live streaming for the creative sectors, uh, ICT services, uh, for private and business customers, telecoms, uh, postal services uh, for level four firms. Agriculture, it's also a new slide, slide 54. It just gives a bit more detail to what we had in the slide uh, of last night. So it would include agriculture, hunting, forestry, fishing, and beekeeping. And uh, we listened carefully to the advice of uh, businesses who said, Please put in specifically things like preparation, cultivation, harvesting, and storage. We've added transportation of live animals and, and, and auctions, subject to health directions, of course. Agriculture infrastructure, so those are uh, the building of dams on farms and things like that. Services, the full range of services, all of fishing, including fish hatcheries and fish farms, and export of all of agriculture, agro-processing, and, and other products. Slide 55 is really some uh, uh, excellent work uh, being done to get the uh, department itself and the campus ready for the return of uh, a greater number of uh, officials to the workplace with site inspections, protocols for new working arrangements, uh, maintaining safe and healthy environment for employees and the public, and it covers uh, things like PPE requirements, office layouts, air quality, washing hands, and so on. Uh, the next slide, 56, look at the impact of the pandemic on departmental programs. We note uh, not only will it impose significant cost on the economy, but the department's priorities and budgets will all need to be reviewed. 
as soon as the scale of the challenge and the cost have been better determined. The initial thinking is that a portion of EMEA, uh, SPII, and THRIP budget allocations be postponed or deferred to the next financial year so that we're able to release resources for the measures that have been announced to, to deal with the economic effects of the crisis. Uh, the department is also in discussion with National Treasury on potential additional funding to assist uh, sectors uh, affected and to, uh, to look at a combination of grant and loan funding in that respect. Uh, on slide 57, we note that the Minister of Finance has granted a two-month extension under the PFMA for the submission of annual financial statements. Uh, that's now moved from the end of May to the end of July. And, and the effect of that is that we will also shift the uh, audit and the tabling of annual reports by two months. And of course, we do recognize it will put a strain on the administration processes because the DTIC will have consolidated um, uh, assets and liabilities of the two departments. The next slide is also new. It's just a final concluding slide that says the risk-adjusted reopening of the economy is intended to be done in phases so that we limit overall movement of people and physical contact between people, taking account of the challenges of implementation in both the public sector but also in the private sector. The focus in level four is on making workplaces COVID ready through arrangements at firm level uh, to reduce the risk of infection of employees and customers and increase the rate of testing. That's absolutely critical to, to speed up and expand testing. A flexible approach is necessary to take account of the size of firms and the level of risk. And we're talking to different sectors to see what needs to be done. The experienced honorable members in this phase will provide valuable insights in efforts to get the economy fully opened as quickly as possible. We're really keen to get the economy moving as rapidly as possible. And further work is being done on the post-COVID economic landscape and the adjustments we will need to do to our industrial strategy to mitigate the economic effects and incorporate the lessons of this pandemic. It won't be business as usual when the pandemic is over. We will have to relook what are the sectors that have been damaged, what else can be done, where also are new opportunities for the South African economy that the pandemic has pointed to. So we've taken a bit of time, uh, Chair, on the, the detail of the presentation, in part because um, uh, it's the first meeting that we've had and because so much of the work is... Um, uh, work in progress that has been uh, been done uh, at uh, short notice. Uh, all of our plans, everything that we've had uh, as our schedules have been upturned uh, and we've had to reinvent our day-to-day -day priorities and what we need to do to respond to the um, COVID virus. So, um, Chair, may I then thank you and the members for the opportunity to highlight the areas of work and uh, immediately uh, with that thank the deputy ministers for the incredible work they've done in this period uh, at huge personal sacrifice uh, to them and their families, to the officials for the um, uh, support, the effort, the detail uh, and all the work that has been done throughout the system. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson.
you, Minister. Can you actually uh, then do this? Um, we will request all members of the joint committees, Minister, to be able to actually take not more than three minutes, not more than three minutes for comments, questions for clarity. Uh, we will actually just make sure that each of the members who are present are able to do that, hoping that at least we can actually deal with the primary factor of the engagement. Can I ask the secretary then just uh, three minutes per member? Uh, can I just maybe check who are the members who will be interested? Maybe we can actually go through secretariat and ask the members to be able to give comments. You are going to help me with the stopwatch and uh, every three minutes will cut. Uh, secretariat? Chair, I have, I have a list of members. I will call on the first member to, on the list, Mr. Dango, to ask a question. Okay. Can I also be noted, Andre? Uh, Chair, I've noted every chair. May I suggest every, members on the chat? I've noted all members on the chat. Ms. Mantash is included. Members must just indicate on the chat if they wish to ask a question. They will be noted. They must yeah. worry. Can I just say as uh, well, it will be all the members present. That's the intention. Can I take Dango? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Chair. I have two questions and then one comment. The first question is, in the financial service sector, are the banks now being regulated to have cash on hand to ensure that there's no run on the banks? Previously, I think it was 6% cash of the advances. Two is in the property sector is to allow for the sale of property and for the letting of property so that we can get that sector of the economy going. Then, Minister, I want to just comment on something. There's a difference in Johannesburg, for example, where Santin is an epicenter. And Region G, which is the poorest of the poor, has the lowest amount of deaths and infections. There's a difference there. Is it that people there are more uh, prone to observing the conditions and people in the richer areas are not as, as mm -hmm. uh, well uh, disposed to, to doing that. And thirdly, I want to appeal to all of us that the unity of South Africa starts with us in Parliament, as parliamentarians, that we should not be going out there and giving negative messages to both investors and to other persons to uh, take it forward. Then unity with the other sectors of society, the faith communities, civil society, and others, so that we can move together as South Africa Incorporated. In 1994, when we faced a similar situation, that was a decision taken by all the parliamentarians that they will not be unnecessarily critical and negatively critical. I thank you very much. Okay, can you take the next member? Chairperson, Mr. Mbuyani. Mbuyani. Honorable Mbuyani. Chairperson, thank you very much. Uh, let me first welcome the presentation by the minister and uh, also 
welcome the extraordinary leadership displayed by the president and the cabinet uh, also must be commended. Chairperson, with regard to the, the, the presentation, I just wanted to, to check, man, I've got two charity seeking questions and a proposal. Uh, there has been a report of sale of acquired uh, rotten food in some outlets uh, in our country, Minister. How will the department ensure the adherence to food safety measures by business and also protection of the safety of consumers during this lockdown? I think that will be the first one. Then the second one, Chairperson, will be the recording industry of South Africa has raised concerns uh, regarding pirates uh, during this uh, uh, circulation of uh, music through uh, social media. Uh, this will affect the royalty or the musician and the harm the industry in general. Chairperson, I just want to. Yes, Chair. Yeah, yes, if I can try and keep still, I'm not sure you're cutting a bit. Sorry, first continue. Yeah, Chairperson, I just wanted to further, uh, what further measures will the department in place to strengthen the enforcement of the copyright law and also to protect uh, our artists? Uh, Chairperson, the, the minister spoke of 7 million rand uh, in terms of budget. Uh, Chip, may, I, may I just interrupt for a moment? Yeah. Uh, I'm really sorry, uh, Chairperson. I'm battling to hear the questions from Honorable Mbuyani. Uh, there seems to be on my side uh, a, a challenge with the uh, quality of the uh, audio. Okay. All right. Um, uh, Andre, Chair. Yeah. May, I, may I suggest, Mr. Mbuyani, in the chat, write down his questions and we can relay it to the minister like that. If he okay. can write his question down in the chat and we will read it to, to, to the minister, if that's yeah. possible. Sorry, uh, Honorable Mbuyani, you're cutting. Uh, we actually not getting it through. Can, is it possible then, if we can ask you that, just uh, send it through the chat? Honorable Mbuyani? No, thank you, Chair. I will try okay. to send to the chat, but uh, yes. I'm audible. I'm, I'm not so sure whether I'm still audible. I'm sorry, because I think it's just the technology. You're cutting a lot. We, we can't hear you properly. Sorry for that. Okay. No, thank you, okay. Chair. I'll write to okay. the chat. Okay. Um, the next member, uh, Secretariat? Um, Chair, the next member is Mr. Cutbirth. Okay. Thank you very much, Chairperson. I just have three questions for the Minister regarding his presentation. Number one being, why has the sale of lottery tickets been prohibited when it provides much-needed revenue to NGOs and MPOs that are helping us during this difficult time in terms of providing food relief and other forms of social care to our residents? Number two, Chair, is what is being done during this crisis for sole proprietors, and this is in specific relation to the registration of sole proprietors on the BizPortal platform. Uh, currently, unless you have a company number, you are unable to register as an essential service, and this puts sole proprietors who, are, who may have the capacity to contribute to this fight at a significant disadvantage. 
Then thirdly, Chair, I would like to ask the Minister whether or not he agrees with his colleagues, the Ministers of Tourism and Minister of Small Business Development, that relief funding should be accorded on the basis of racial guidelines, Chair. This is not a legal question, but rather a moral question. It's the same as saying we have a life draft and we're not willing to save all South Africans, but we are going to handpick people on the basis of their race. Chair, we are calling for solidarity from our side by providing to the Solidarity Fund. Citizens of this country from all walks of lives are contributing towards fighting COVID-19. And we would like to think that in the spirit of that, all South Africans, businesses alike, and their employees would be able to rely on government during this very difficult time. And I, I think that that's something that I would really like to hear the Minister's response to. I thank you, Chairperson. Okay, thank you. Can take the next one, Secretariat. Chairperson, Mr. McPherson. Okay, McPherson. Thank you very much. Um, Minister, from the outset, I want to say how disappointed I've been um, at your complete reluctance uh, to engage me on uh, the 13 pieces of communication that I've sent through to your office, uh, highlighting some very uh, real concerns but also to make many suggestions uh, which have just not been engaged in. And so everyone, you have called for solidarity. We've been called to work together, but it seems that it's work together, but on your and the government's terms. And I don't think that that is uh, the correct approach to take. And I'll get through to some of those issues in a moment. Um, I want to understand uh, how the government uh, believes it is the correct practice to pick winners and losers in the economy based on what their, uh, what their contribution to uh, GDP is. Because surely if we know, and National Treasury told us yesterday, that we potentially could lose between 3 and 7 million jobs, that actually, in fact all businesses have a contribution to make uh, and that they should be able to be open as long as they make, as long as they meet uh, minimum health standards and protocols, which uh, can be determined on a sectoral level, why does the government believe that it's a better approach to pick winners and losers uh, than actually ensure that all people who can make a contribution can do so? With regards to the uh, proposal of uh, invoking Section 11 of the National Credit Act, I sent you that proposal on the 8th of April. To date, and it still seems by your presentation that actually nothing's been done on it. Uh, it seems to be continuous consultations. The need for South Africans to access credit and access finance is now. Uh, and I just want to understand what uh, the uh, holdup is from that. Um, I see, uh, and it sounds like you've made somewhat of a U-turn on uh, e-commerce, and, and that's particularly uh, welcomed from my point. I just want to understand, uh, and you yourself have acknowledged that there are large amounts of inventory uh, sitting in warehouses across the country, which of course have added benefits for government like VAT receipts um, and, and other forms of income. Uh, at what point are you going to allow for the unfettered access to e-commerce? Uh, we know that it has the ability to limit the risk uh, of, of infection that we can get goods into people's uh, houses uh, without spreading the virus. Uh, so please, can you tell me what the delay is 
and when you expect that uh, to, uh, uh, to take place. Um, and then lastly, I'd like to know what is your projected time frame for uh, us to be in level four? If all things went according to plan, what would be the minimum period that you would expect us to be in level four? Thank you. Next member, Honorable. Chairperson, yeah. Chairperson, the next member is Mr. Lont. Okay, Mr. Lont. Uh, thank you. Um, good morning, colleagues, and morning, Minister. Um, Minister, there's, there's some areas with zero or very few of the COVID infections. And um, I'm glad that you said at one stage do, during your presentation that we are looking to move rapidly beyond level four. Um, you also touched on the fact that it will be based on the readiness of uh, provinces and districts, um, whether we can be moving beyond that level four. Um, so on slide 40, you did touch on it, that we'll be able to apply different levels to different areas. But we also need to know by when that will happen. Because, for instance, if province A is ready to move to level three, um, by when will you be allowing those provinces to move that to that area? So even some districts that have zero um, COVID infections at this stage, they are also being locked into the same levels as very high-risk areas. So... My question is, what will the triggers be to allow us to move to lower levels or also when we have to move back to higher levels? Um, we are currently being kept in the dark to say, listen, um, at these points, we will be moving to lower levels. We need that clarity from your side, please. Also want to find out what's the interaction and engagements and what's the authority that will be given to, let's say, the provincial executives to make those calls and take those responsibilities in the provinces to say that we'll be moving on. I've got a situation and I would, you would appreciate my concern. I, I work in an area that represents 14B municipalities. There's only 75 cases at this stage and the majority of these cases has been there for a while. So this area is also being affected by level five and now level four yet the risk factor is not as high as other areas that's got much higher infections. And we really need to start ensuring that uh, we have different approaches for the different districts based on the risk levels and the readiness, of course. But it's very vague, that readiness. We need to know um, what is your measurements for us to move to lower levels. And if people do not adhere, what will be the triggers to move us back to higher levels? Thank you. Thank you. The next honourable member. Um, Chairperson, I just want to request that members who ask questions must switch on the camera, please. Um, the next member is Mrs. Bossoff. Okay, Thank Bossoff. you very much. Good morning, Chair, and good morning to the Minister. Um, Minister, you mentioned that the provision of stock PPEs will be sufficient. Following the announcement made by the two ministers of higher and basic education, schools are going to be phased in as from 1 June, and she undertook, um, Minister Mucheke, that 
all quintiles from one to five will be provided with the necessary PPEs. Um, can you give us assurance that this will be able to be done? Um, my second question, it's actually a comment. People want to apply to provide accommodation to employees that provide essential services. But the application that has to be made on the biz portal has been left out. Could this be looked at and rectified? The other problem that I have is that um, building materials like cement, etc., is going to be available now. But people, but builders are not allowed to go back to work at this point in time. And we find many people at home as well now that can do a little bit of touch-up work. Could we also be given um, an indication of when builders will be allowed to return to work? And then we also need to have a discussion on maintenance and repairs. Then my last question is about micro-lenders, people that own cash loans. They would like to know under which category they fall and when will they be allowed to return to work. Thank you very much. Okay, could we take the next member? Chairperson, Ms. Muatse. Muatse. Honorable Muatse. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Good morning. Um, let me also welcome the presentation and appreciate the work well done by the executive minister. We have seen reports of incidences of prices hikes in the markets, especially in some retail store on products which are essential in the fight against COVID-19. The discount matter is a case in point. How will the department through the competition commission will intensify the adherence to good business practice by retailers in the lockdown and beyond. And the second one, what is being done to ensure that the lodges and the BNBs can be used for purpose of isolating positive cases, especially in rural and township areas? Thank you, Chairperson. Okay, we'll take the next uh, member. Thank you. Chairperson, just want to call on members to switch on the cameras when they do to ask a question. That's been a request, Chairperson. The next member, Chair, is Mr. Braut Sit. Mr. Braut? Yes, Chair, thank you very much. <clears throat> Chair, I just would like to, first of all, thank you for the opportunity. And then secondly, uh, to get into my questions, I'd like to reiterate what my colleague, Honorable Cuthbert, said about sole proprietorship. I'm receiving a number of queries, and so are a number of public representatives about this. Many sole proprietorships are not in the position to register uh, with the CRPC. Uh, sole proprietorship suits their business model. We need to have an urgent intervention there to assist them. Secondly, the minister refers to the uh, solidarity fund in the presentation. What is concerning is that he refers to pledges, 2.7 billion, I think, in pledges. Now, my understanding is a pledge is a promise. It's not an actual, it's not actually money in the bank. Is the minister spending money that we don't have yet? Um, then the next, the third issue I need to get on, which is a massive issue, Chair, is that 
on the Sunday previous, the president announced the, the um, lifting of the prohibition on tobacco sales. Then we were informed that after 2,000 emails, that was dropped. And now there's a prohibition on sales. I would like to get some sort of an idea of how the cabinet was split on that. And is the minister saying now that if the government has policy, all it takes is 2,000 emails to make the government go back on policy that they've considered? I'm assuming the president's statement was based on some sort of policy discussion. Um, and then does the minister understand that he is massively stimulating the black market in sales? We'll be stupid to think or naive to think that people are not selling cigarettes illegally. There will be a massive stimulation of that and a massive loss to the fiscus. Then my final question is, does anybody in the cabinet or the Tudy House or the minister himself perhaps have any shares in Mr. Mazzotti's business that specializes in that course of endeavor? Thank you, Chair. Don't talk, please, when you... Okay, can we take the next uh, member, Robert? Um, the next member is Mr. Mulder. Honorable uh, Mulder. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chair, Honorable Minister Mattel, members. Um, I think we should all recognize the fact that uh, this is a very well uh, presented presentation in a very calm matter for which I always respects Minister Patel, but we should also recognize the real situation and the danger that South Africa is, is experiencing at the moment. It is common knowledge that the South African economy has already been in a rather weak state. We entered this, this crisis with the economy already weakened, uh, with the fact that we were already downgraded by the the credit rate is just before this pandemic started. So we're not in an ideal situation in comparison with, with lots of other economies in the world to recover from this. Well, by saying this, I think we should also recognize that we're not just going to reopen the economy with, with special measures. We have to relook the whole situation in South Africa. South Africa is never going to be the same. Let's be clear and honest by that. This is a whole new country that we entered in. The change is going to be even more drastic than after 1994. And this, of course, opens new opportunities to South Africa, to all South Africans, and especially also to the government. I've got two questions for the Honourable Minister. The one is that I want to ask and pledge, will the South African government engage with all stakeholders, business, in civil life, and other political parties in creating a new dispensation for South Africa, especially in the economic and trade and industry, and please engage with them. I've also got the experience that we don't get answers to our emails and inputs that we give, leaving us out in the cold and strengthening the perception that government is only acting on their own. So we need to engage over a broad range. And the second one is, will the government continue with their already proved unsuccessful, unsustainable policies, especially economic policies, and especially as far as race-based um, is concerned? Isn't it time to get rid of triple BE as we know it, and let South Africans all start together 
and that we can get the economy going again and really start building towards a new South Africa. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Can we take the next member? Uh, Chair, the next person is Mrs. Hermans. Okay, Hermans. Thank you, Chair. Let me, first of all, salute all the workers on this day, the 1st of May, especially during this very difficult time where most workers are faced with reduced salaries and unemployment. So let us salute all of them across the world and in South Africa in particular during this very difficult time. Let me appreciate the decisive and responsible manner in which the government led by our president and his team of ministers has so far handled the issue of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it is very good to hear the appreciation of other international uh, bodies such as uh, the WHO who are recognizing the good work done by, by government. We have to at all times continue to put the lives of our people first as we progress through the various levels of the pandemic. And I think that must be what guides us. Uh, the fact that we need to save life, lives. We recognize the difficulty of, of the balancing act that government has to perform because we must also um, recognize, as the minister has said, that the economy and the, 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 the level of infection, they are very interlinked because we know without an income, people will die of hunger. So I think if the minister can just give us an indication of how, he, how the government and the NCCC is intending to continue to keep this balance where we don't move to a lower level um, because of economy at the expense of lives. Then secondly, if, if the minister can just tell us with regard to the procurement of essential services for COVID-19, what, uh, what is done to, to ensure that we are consistent with the triple uh, BEE Act provisions in terms of the pro pre uh, preferential, preferential procurement uh, framework. Because unlike uh, um, Honorable Mulder, we recognize that we are still not all playing on a level playing field in South Africa. And that's why we still have a triple BEE framework. I thank you. The next member. And Chairperson, Mr. Thring. Okay, Honorable Thring. Thank you, Chair. Uh, Minister, thank you for your presentation. I think certainly the task that you have and others uh, is not an enviable task, uh, but nevertheless, thank you for the presentation. Um, I think very clearly, South Africa's economy currently sitting in ICU, and we have to determine and the decisions that we make whether it, uh, the economy does not go into a coma. Um, I think one looks at uh, the economists and the specialists out there saying that we could look at a contraction of between 5 to 10% uh, in terms of the economy. We could look at 
debt to GDP increasing from some um, 60%, where it's currently sitting, to over 80%. Uh, we could also look at our national budget uh, to GDP increasing from 6 to 12%, and unemployment rates uh, from anywhere between 300,000 uh, to 400,000 um, additional uh, members being added to the ranks of unemployed. Uh, so clearly we have lots of work to do. So Minister, my questions um, would be, I think one of the first is many religious organizations and NGOs, uh, churches are complaining that they are struggling to access some of the uh, relief that has been made available, uh, which is clearly made available to uh, sectors of the economy and in particular business. Um, these religious sectors and the church in particular uh, also employ uh, some, some of them huge staff members and they're actually struggling to actually access uh, the, the relief um, sources that are there. So can the minister just speak to these NGOs, uh, religious organizations, churches, in terms of um, smoother uh, processes to access these, this particular relief? Um, I think secondly, um, minister, I spoke with a poultry farmer and they were asked in terms of the master plan uh, to ramp up production by 15%. Uh, they've ramped up production, but they've seen a loss of in, in sales of some 33%. Um, that is in terms of the government's master plan. Uh, so even within the poultry sector and the dumping that still appears to be continuing, uh, the poultry sector is also in huge uh, disarray. Uh, so what initiatives just in terms of that master plan, ramping up of, um, ramping up of sales, uh, and now sitting with this huge stock, some of them millions in, in, in deep uh, in storage, deep free storage, uh, what has what been done to assist the poultry industry? Uh, then, Minister, I think on the uh, just intergovernmental interface, um, I have uh, those in imports, exports, and even uh, somebody in the textile industry who had all of their permits, uh, but when they began to operate, whether it's importing goods or whether it's operating in the factory, shut down by SAPS, despite having their permits in place from DTI. So it appears as if the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. So what intergovernmental inter communications, smoother intergovernmental communications are in place to ensure these kinds of things don't happen? Um, and then measures in place, uh, in place, Minister, to support local manufacturing output, as well as creating more beneficiary refining sites to maintain our resource value change within South Africa and additionally, uh, what are we looking at doing to reduce our reliance on supply chains uh, from heavily affected and vulnerable uh, countries? Uh, then, Minister, I, I think also, um, just with regards to the healthcare sector, um, if we were to look at our asset register from public works, um, not just looking at, at hotels, but if we were to speak to public works, what are the assets that we have that could also be used uh, in terms of emergency facilities to assist those who are needy. Thank you. Sure. Can we take the next member? Chair, chairperson, the next yeah. member is Mr. Ya Ms. Yaku. Yaku, honorable member. Um, thank you, Chairperson, um, and thank you to the Minister uh, on his presentation. Um, though I think it's quite broad, this presentation, if you're honest, and I would once again want to appeal to the Chairperson and the Minister um, that we meet more often, that we're able to exercise our role 
um, in oversight uh, as, as best as we can. And so that we're also able to report back to our constituencies as to what is happening. Um, I want to ask the minister if uh, perhaps um, they've taken or, or in their conscience they sure about the measures of reopening the economy that they've also taken into place um, or into cognizance the socioeconomic um, issues that our people are facing at the moment um, and that then reopening the economy is not going to then um, expose our people to more deaths in terms of the COVID. Um, secondly, I'd like to know with the 500 billion that's been earmarked to assist um, those that are struggling, um, I'm not seeing a plan that accommodates those who it seems to me to be quite elitist and it doesn't accommodate the poor who doesn't have access to some of the infrastructure such as banks um, who don't have bank accounts, those who don't have access to to go to the, the cities and, and to acquire information as to how to apply or the internet. So I'd like a comprehensive report from the minister as to how DTI, specifically with each province, is going to make sure that this is rolled out and, and, and working with us as members of parliament so that we're able in the provinces that we reside in and other provinces that we deploy to, able to oversee that it is in fact being rolled out in the way that it's meant to. Secondly, um, the manufacturing of PPE material. Um, can we get a report, a comprehensive report from the minister as to what companies are going to pro- produce or are going to manufacture PPE material um, to South Africans? Where are they per province and, and how much work they've done in their demographics as well? And lastly, um, with, with the manufacturing of food, obviously, um, to sustain South Africa's demand for food at the moment, are we're also going to then build, uh, you're, bre- you're breaking um, storage space so that we're not running out. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me now? Yes. You can sure. say so. Yes. Um, with the, I, I just like to ask the minister, is there storage space that's going to be built to accommodate the food that is going to be produced um, to mitigate the, the, the COVID demand at the moment with people being at home? And lastly, um, he says that the sale of lottery um, is prohibited in stage four, but also we've seen that people are able to play the lottery via um, e-banking. Um, so how is he mitigating that so that some are having, having access to playing the lottery and others not? Um, thank you. Chairperson, the next person is Ms. Mantashe. Honorable Mantashe. Thank you, thank you, Chair. Uh, let me let me also appreciate the the presentation, Chair. Yeah. We can't see your face as well. Maybe you can touch uh, the screen so that we can see you. Doesn't want to come up, Chair. Can okay. I speak? Go, go ahead, go ahead, Honorable Montana. Thank you, Chair. Chair, this is. Uh, a, a challenging time for the country. And I want to follow suit in what my whip has said that we applaud the government for the proactivity they've shown and displayed during this hard time. But here we have some concerns, but let me first uh, make a comment to say this is a hard time, but at the same time it's an opportunity it is, it is an opportunity posed to us as a country to build on 
the weaknesses that we have noticed during this time, especially in the health sector. Chair, we are worried, maybe the minister can give us assurance. We are worried uh, about the lack of ventilators and the, the whole shoot of PPEs. If we can be given an assurance that the, the companies that they've given the tender to, to produce can be given targets at least to produce that, those materials for at least for a period of six months so that we can have a, you know, can put our hopes on, 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 on those things because our regions are rural and there are no hospitals closer by that can accommodate them. And in the absence of ventilators, then we are, our, our communities are, are set to, to die. Chair, the president has outlined a COVID-19 risk adjustment strategy for economic recovery during this lockdown in a phased approach. Will the department as the lead department on, the, on industrial policy calibrate or prioritize the imagined industrial strategy for long-term growth of our economy post the COVID-19? And that would be my question, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can we take the next member? Check member? the next member is Ms. Mutawung. Uh, Honorable Mutawung. Thank you, Chair. Let me also appreciate the work done that has been done by our executive. I only have three questions. One, uh, Honorable Minister, I just want to check. The NEF funding provides... A Honorable, Mutabung, Honorable Mutabung, just, just to be able to... Don't move away. Yeah. Okay. No, thank you. All Sorry right, thank for, you. Yeah, uh, okay. The NEF funding provides the payment of holiday for 12 months for companies. Has that also been considered for IDC funding for distressed companies, given that the impact on companies may go beyond the time of the pandemic? Of the pandemic? And secondly, what measures has the department put in place to ensure that applications for IDC and NEF for, the, for, for a fast-tracking given the immediate need while making sure that the process remain transparent and credible. And lastly, Chair, uh, on the terms of competition commission cases, how many applications has the competition commission received to date and what is the status of their investigation? Lastly, I want to uh, applaud the department uh, with uh, their cases that they have attended regarding the competition commission. And I want to pledge my support on the e-voucher system, Minister. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much. Can we take the next member? Thank you. Chair, that was the last question, Chair, from members. Okay. Um, Chair, yes. Chair, if I may, the Mr. Mbuyani has submitted questions on the chat chair. Do we forward that to the to the minister, or do we read it into the into the meeting? The I think it will be important that we read it to the meeting. Can we read it to the meeting? I will try to do so, chair. Yeah, if, because if ever we had uh, Honourable Mbuyani properly connected, we'll ask him to read through. But it was disturbed. Try, please read it through. Okay. 
Chair, yeah. Mr. Mr. Mubiani's first question is relating to the sale of expired and rotten goods in some outlets in our country. Uh, he's asking how will the department ensure adherence to food safety measures by businesses and protection of the safety of consumers during this lockdown period. With regard to the recording industry of South Africa, he has raised some, there's some concerns regarding the piracy due to the circulation of music due to Jay, I just have to, there's a challenge here. This obviously affects the royalty for musicians and the harm of the industry in, in that regard. So the challenge is not being able to see or read. Yeah. Chair, I would suggest if we forward these questions because it's a bit difficult to read. There's more than there's a number of questions you pose, Chair. Okay. I will forward it to, 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 the, to the DTIC. Hopefully the minister will be able to respond to it before the, during the, his presentation. Okay. All right. Can, can we then actually uh, proceed, um, Honorable Minister? I think what, what we actually were looking at now is to be able to actually get the minister to actually respond to comments, questions which were raised by the members. The point which is important as well is that um, the joint committee is looking at regular meetings. We would actually be looking at the next meeting uh, before the end of today's agenda. So obviously, I think uh, we should be able to say the joint meetings are looking at meeting regular. We will look at the program of the committee of this virtual meeting uh, from our committee to the joint one uh, at the end of today's agenda. Can I ask maybe that we then ask the uh, minister to be able to actually uh, respond to the questions or comments by members as sent through. Minister, can I invite you to actually then speak to the issues raised by members? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. And I'd like to appreciate the, uh, the uh, comments, uh, the very warm sentiments that have been raised by a number of members. May I check with you, Chepers, how much time would I have available for the replies? Um, if you could indicate that, then I, I will um, uh, utilize that time. Can, can I then, I think it will be only fair because we, we had nine to one we tried to secure in terms of today's meeting with the little of the technical glitches we had earlier. Can I ask that we work not beyond 12? I'm just saying, Minister, when you actually respond, because I think um, it, it will be fair for us not to actually skip the agreed time. We started a bit late, but it was not your fault. Can I ask the favor that at least if you can, it round up by 12 latest. And then I'm sure, as I've said, that we're looking at regular engagement at the joint committee level. We would actually be, before end of today, suggest the next kind of date and make sure that we do have regular interaction and engagement 
with the minister as the joint committees. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and I will I will observe the uh, the framework, the time framework you've given. So I'd like to start with uh, one or two overarching comments, um, and they are that th this is a time that is uncertain. It's a time for which no textbook exists, that we haven't had a modern integrated um, economy uh, of the type that we have today faced with a challenge of this nature. So we've, we've, we're feeling our way through it. We're spending some time reflecting on the lessons of other countries uh, and, and our own lessons. And so the feedback that we get from time to time from members of parliament is enormously valuable. I uh, particularly appreciate the feedback that gives us a good sense about how our programs are working at local level, because trying to roll out in um, uh, 52 district and local municipalities uh, and across many different sectors of the economy, the same broad framework will mean that there are gaps and there are challenges and members of parliament are, are, are really, in a sense, the eyes and ears of the public, and they provide enormously valuable input. Even if we can't always respond directly to it, uh, the, the detail of many of these issues uh, will be brought to my attention, and we then try to deal with uh, as many of them as we can. Fortunately, in this period, we've also had a very active citizenry, so we've had large numbers of comments, suggestions, ideas, uh, text messages, emails, public comments, uh, that has also helped to enrich our ability to understand the impact of our measures and how we can uh, ensure that we take into account uh, all the views uh, of, of, of our people. And when I talk of our people, I mean all South Africans, everybody here, whether rural or urban, uh, whether young or old, whether black or white, whether employed or unemployed, whether in a large firm or in a vulnerable small firm, all those views are enormously important. Going to the questions that have been raised, and a number of the questions have been also in the form of helpful suggestions and comments, which I've taken note of, and if I may deal with them uh, as briefly as I can for each one, uh, in the reverse order in which they were asked. So I would start with um, uh, Ms. Motaung's uh, comments about um, the Competition Commission. They've been very active, and uh, uh, the Competition Commission itself has received about uh, something of the order of a thousand uh, concerns and complaints uh, from members of the public. Uh, in, as I indicated in my uh, re remarks earlier, they have already successfully uh, achieved closure on some cases through consent orders, is essentially where uh, the um, uh, person being complained against uh, accepts that they were wrong and uh, they are issued with a penalty and other action, uh, remedial action is taken. There are some prosecutions now that are coming up at the competition tribunal, uh, and uh, we want, uh, we, we hope that we can get uh, a very speedy resolution of that. 
in the case of the Com uh, Consumer Commission, they receive over 1,700 complaints, uh, and uh, the bulk of them were about unfair price increases, um, and the remaining ones were not related to the regulation specifically, uh, but they dealt with other matters. What I do want to indicate in all of this is our laws have been written for a different period. They were written for a period where complaints typically take two years, sometimes longer, to get to resolution. And we've asked our regulators to move faster, but to still do so in a constitutionally proper way, that we can't um, ignore the requirements of the uh, uh, Constitution of um, a fair opportunity for the other side, uh, for their view to be heard. At the same time, of course, these are life and death matters. Uh, the absence of hand sanitizer because the prices have been spiked can lead to deaths. So we're trying to find a balance that recognizes a due process and, and the right of, of people to be heard uh, with the need for society to get rapid relief in instances like this. On the NEF and IDC issues, uh, they both of them are looking at um, uh, providing support for companies in their portfolios uh, where those companies are unable to pay as a direct result of COVID-19. And uh, uh, in the case of the IDC, uh, they have reviewed their portfolio uh, to ensure that uh, this is done uh, on the time frames, uh, more broadly, uh, of course, no one can predict anywhere in the world how long the um, COVID-19 crisis is going to be with us. So we need to have to show flexibility and um, uh, ensure that we are in it for the long game, that we are able to help companies uh, and workers and uh, the South African people as a whole over this period. Honorable Mantash, thank you for your comments and for your warm uh, uh, remarks. On your question relating to PPEs and ventilators, we are indeed involved uh, in a very active uh, process now to try to build capacity. We had in the past made some masks, face masks, but not enough. And uh, because we didn't have a COVID-19 uh, crisis, so it was only a few industries that needed masks and some uh, medical personnel at hospitals. Now we've had to rapidly ramp up and we've discovered that some of what is required is not available in South Africa. For example, with the, the mask that's used by um, uh, uh, medical personnel at the front line, uh, the most advanced of those masks are a, a, a mask uh, that meets what they call the N95 standard or the FFP3 standard. Now, these require, in many instances, a membrane that can completely block any viral transmission, even if you're working actively in an environment where people are sneezing and coughing onto you, as many doctors and nurses have to do. Now, that membrane is not available locally. So uh, that membrane is then imported and put into these. So we're using South African innovation to deal with that. Similarly, we have not been making ventilators uh, in, in recent times. So we are rebuilding a capability uh, in the ventilator manufacturing space that we're looking at now. Uh, so thank you for your comments. And long-term growth, 
we are in fact um, identifying this and there are other uh, people who had made similar comments on other honorable members I think um, among others um, honorable things point uh, and Man and honorable Mantasha's point connect very well that there are new value chains where we can see economic opportunity in the long term for the South African economy. For example, we now know that every region needs to have the ability to do critical medical equipment and things like PPE. So we, we're identifying opportunities on the